Scripture reading this evening is John chapter 18, verses 15 through 24. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. This is God's word. You're already seated. You are forgiven. Uh, tonight we are uh, going to visit that uh, that part of Jerusalem in which there are three, uh, uh, I would say, three major things that are going on on the same night. Uh, one deals with Judas, whom we know is the one that betrayed Jesus, 30 pieces of silver. As we saw last week, he is the one that takes the contingency of armed men and uh, uh, some, some fellas, uh, that are going to arrest Jesus. He enters into the uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. He kisses Jesus, betrays Jesus with a kiss, and he is carried off to uh, to the high priest's home, the high priest being Caiaphas. Even though Caiaphas, having hatched this plan, is probably not quite ready, not realizing that the plan is going so smoothly and it's going so quickly, he is... He sends Jesus to Annas' house, who is his, uh, his father-in-law. And finally, Jesus comes back to Caiaphas' house. And at the same time, Peter and John, as you know, are following along from the reading that, uh, that Tim just did for us. And there are some events that take place uh, in this particular area with Peter as well. So we'll go ahead and get started. There is, uh, after Judas has realized that what he has done in the Garden of Gethsemane that it is it it is uh, not only unjust but that he has betrayed innocent blood and there are a couple of words for repentance the the one that that describes uh, judas is one who is feeling the the extreme remorse without any hope that things might be different and so having thrown the money at the feet of the ones that had given it to him they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for the foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field 
as the Lord commanded me. Uh, this is a tree. If if you go to Israel or if you 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 read uh, you know some of the more popular books on on uh, on what you know the the Bible in Israel and these kinds of things, one of the things that they'll they'll mention sometimes is that traditionally it is thought that this tree right here is the tree on which uh, Judas hanged himself. Uh, it's probably not the tree. It's not it's not exactly the um, the probably the strongest of trees. It's probably a corruption of. Of, of the uh, of, of a French phrase that refers to it as a, the tree of Judea, and it became known through history as the tree of Judas, and they kind of pinpointed it, that back to uh, uh, to this this tree being the one in which uh, Judas hanged himself. Uh, probably not the one. It's, it's it's basically a redbud tree, is what it is. Uh, is a very beautiful tree, but probably not the one that Judas hanged himself on. Uh, if you uh, remember, especially those of us that are older watching Jesus Christ Superstar either on television or saw it at the movie theater, you'll remember the scene in which Judas hanged himself in that movie. Well, this is this is at a site known as Beit Shan, which is just south of the Sea of Galilee. And in that movie, this uh, this tree right here is the one that in that movie Judas hanged himself. By the way, in Beit Shan, you'll remember that Beit Shan is where uh, you know, uh, King Saul is, is is dead. He has fallen on his sword. He's mortally wounded, but he falls on his sword at Mount Gilboa. Uh, uh, his enemies, the Philistines, have taken him to Beit Shan, and they hang him and his sons. They behead him and hang the body on the wall. The wall of Beit Shan during the time uh, of, of King Saul are those walls right there. So it's a pretty famous spot, not just because Hollywood decided that it was the best place for Judas to be hanged, but it also has a biblical history. And here's a picture of that tree close up. Again, if you go to Israel today, you'll find the tree in which Jesus hanged himself all over the city. But this, this site right here has never been debated. This is Akeldama. It's, it's a, a field kind of on the eastern slope of the, uh, the Hinnom Valley, uh, it's just, uh, it's just, just it, I, everything is a stone's throw, but you realize it's, it's farther than a stone's throw, but it's really, really close to Caiaphas's house. And so when, when, when Judas has returned the, the money there at the temple, he comes down the Ophel, um and, and he hangs himself at, at some place. And the money that he threw at the, the feet of the, the Sanhedrin, they buy this field. And up until the end of the 19th century, this field right here was the place where non-Jews were buried in, in, in Jerusalem. And there are tombs all over the place. There are, there are cemeteries all over this field. It was, it was called the potter's field because it was a field that was really rich in, in red clay. And the potters would use it and make their wares. Uh, it later became known as Hagel. Aldama or Akeldama, the field of blood, because it was bought with blood money. But to this day, this is one. This is a one. This is an X marks the spot. To this day, no one has ever disputed that this is the place that was bought with the money that Judas had been had been given to betray Jesus. the The next place that we come to is this this beautiful church on the western slope. It's called Peter Galinkantu, which means. Uh, Peter and the, and the crowing rooster. And one of the things that you'll notice in, at this particular church is that they have a rooster 
everywhere. The, the, uh, up on top of the cross, on top of the church, the weather vane is, is this rooster. And on the front door of this church, you'll see a very famous scene. This is in the, uh, the upper room. You have, uh, you have Jesus here pointing to Peter. Peter has this who me look on his face. And you see he's holding up three fingers. And what's he doing there? What's the depiction? You will betray me three times, right? And you have all of the other disciples, and they're looking at Peter, and they're sort of incredulous, but they're all wondering, you know, they're the ones that are wondering if they are the ones that are going to betray him. You also notice that there is the rooster right there on this ch- in this church, and on this church you're going to find roosters everywhere as sort of this X marks the spot that this is the vicinity in which Peter denied Jesus three times. Now, to, to kind of give you an idea of where we are in Jerusalem right now, here is the southern end of the Temple Mount. Here is the Mount of Olives. If you were to follow this skyline right here, you'd be going up to the north. So this is the southern end. As you can see, it begins to slope down. That is the Ophel, the, uh, the place uh, that was known as the City of David. This area... Right here where the, uh, the Temple Mount is, this is actually not the Dome of the Rock. The Dome of the Rock is back off the picture, but this is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It's in the place where Solomon's portico was during the time of Herod. But this, this, this place right here that it is built on is Mount Moriah. It's, uh, as you know, Mount Moriah is just rich in biblical history. This western hill that we're on, and now we're on, we're on, a, we're on top of Mount Zion. And from the western slope of Mount Zion, we're looking to the north, and we can see the Temple Mount. To the uh, northeast, we can see the Mount of Olives. Here's the Kidron Valley coming down this way. This is all the old city of David, and and down below is going to be the Tyropian Valley. So where we are right now is the place in Jerusalem where those that could get away in seven. 23 722 bc you'll remember that in 721 bc the assyrians come down and they completely just they obliterate samaria and they take those 10 tribes into into captivity those that were rich enough that could relocate and had the means to do so did leave the south knowing that the assyrians were coming before 721 723 722 knowing what is up they they leave head down to the south they go to jerusalem and this area right here is uh, part of it is the upper city up on Mount Zion, but that western hill, that is where those those refugees from the northern ten tribes began to relocate. So again, it's a very, very famous place in the history of Israel. These stones right here are next to that church, Peter Galincantu, that is where the, the house of Caiaphas is located and also the place where Peter denies Jesus three times. These stones that have been uncovered right here are right beside that church building and they head down into that valley heading towards the Temple Mound that you saw you know, raised up from the Ephel. These are the steps where Jesus would have been led up into, Jesus, into Caiaphas' house and the ones that they would, would have connected down to to uh, uh, down into the valley and they would have crossed the Tyropian Valley and then moved across the western side where the western wall is or the Wailing Wall is to get to the Fortress Antonia. So these stones right here that were next to Caiaphas' house are perhaps the ones that he was, he was led to Caiaphas' house and then led to Pilate when he was being tried by, by the Jews. Uh, it's kind of a moving thing. Um, 
you know, when you when you step on on stones that were there during the first century, and you're in a place where you know something extremely significant, and the likelihood that it was in this place is very very high. It's a very significant thing to know that you're standing on some stones that that perhaps Jesus was led down on his way to Pilate, and subsequently to his his crucifixion, and. Uh, uh, you know, it's a very moving thing to know that you know this. This is this is part. This, this, these stones right here, in in a sense, play kind of a minor part in what has become our salvation, as being the stones that he was stepping on as he was moving towards Pilate. So again, to kind of give you an idea of what's going on, Jesus is betrayed on the Mount of Olives. They come across the Kidron Valley, they come across the Ophel, and they come up. Mount Zion to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. From, from those stones that were there beside Caiaphas's house, the main avenue there, they take him back down and they cross the Tyropian Valley and they move up the western wall of the Temple Mount to the fortress Antonia, which is at the northwest corner of the Temple Mount. Now we're in the courtyard area of where Caiaphas' house is. And there's a very famous um, statue there that it's actually multiple statues. You have a centurion, you have a couple of servant girls. Uh, you know, in the text, it seems like one is a young maid. The, the other one that asked him is an older woman. So you have both of those portrayed in the statue. And you have Peter with his hands up in the air like, what in the why are you asking me? I've already told you I don't know him. Thus you have the, the quote in Luke 22 verse 57 um, uh, th- there in Latin. But it's at this place, and you saw, you saw, the, the, saw the painting at the beginning of the, uh, of the slideshow. That, that painting is from about 1920 or, or so. It was painted by a guy by the name of Le- uh, Liebenweber, and it is, uh, in Italian, it is the denial of Peter. And it shows, if you'll remember, Peter is showing his sorrow and knowing that he has denied the Christ. And there's a rooster behind him sitting on a fence. There's a reminder that not only did he deny Jesus, but Jesus even gave him a heads up that that was going to happen. And in this area, you have, again, you know, it's a very poignant moment as, you know, as you're in a place... You know, you know, one of the things I think of when I, I come to this place is um, like probably every disciple of Jesus at some time or another, we have denied Jesus either in our actions or in our words or in some form we have denied Jesus. And in, in a lot of ways, that's one of the most disappointing things about ourselves. You know, we want to be strong disciples. There are just times when, you know, the, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And, and, uh, you know, it's just, and it's not just once, you know, perhaps with a lot of us, you know, numerous times we can look back and see those moments in which we should have done better. And those are very, very private moments for us. For most of us, probably the majority of us, those are very private moments. But for this man, his time of denying Jesus is, is one of the best known facts of the gospel. You ask just about any person. In fact, uh, there's, a, there's a talk radio show that makes constant references to the 30 pieces of silver and it being all about betrayal, betrayal by a friend. And this, this particular place where you are, there is a, a man who walked for three years with Jesus and heard his teaching, saw his miracles, saw the, saw the crowds, saw the healings, saw the casting out of demons, 
He saw all of these things, but in a moment of extreme anxiety, he denied the Christ. And the difference between his repentance and the repentance of Judas is that, that there, there is a hopefulness in Peter that things might be different. Now we come to, uh, I, to, to me, I think is, um, uh, when, when you get to, to see these things, it, it, be, it becomes uh, one, of the, um, one of the most sober experiences. Uh, one of the things that we do not talk about enough, we, we talk a lot about the crucifixion, and, which is, is terrible enough, but we also read in Scripture that according to Scripture, Jesus had to suffer for our graves. He didn't just die for our, our sins. He suffered for our sins. And in this, uh, this particular area that we're about to look at, this is where the suffering began. Uh, again, this is a statue. It's a um, uh, uh, servant of the Lord, and it's Jesus Christ as he is bound and, and looking to heaven for help. And uh, when you go into Caiaphas' house, uh, you go down uh, about a story or so, and and what what happened in the, in, in uh, ancient Jewish in, in Judaism is that the, the the high priest, the one that was recognized as the high priest, was usually a very affluent person. Uh, the, uh, the the aristocracy, uh, the, uh, the the priests, and the high priests were all very much a part of of the aristocracy of Jerusalem. And Caiaphas, like all the others, lived probably in a, in, a, in a very, very substantial house. And his house would have to be substantial because uh, there would be uh, a prison or jail cells that would be connected to his house because of all of the legal rulings that, uh, that he would have to give. And as you go down uh, about a flight of steps in Caiaphas' house, you begin to go underground from the living quarters. What you run into are those those cells where the interrogation would have taken place. And as you go down into this place, um, uh, between the last time I was there and the most recent time I was there, I, I, uh, they, they were making modifications. You used to be able to kind of get up closer to this area, but now it's, there's plexiglass in front of it. But what you'll see is um, a beam that, that's probably about seven feet off the ground. And it's just a, it's a natural piece of, of stone. And you'll also see two holes that were drilled into the side of that beam. Here and here. And, uh, and what you see are the, uh, some, some leather thongs that have been draped through just to kind of give you an idea of what they were for. Uh, be- because uh, of sometimes the need to, to, to deal harshly with with folks that were considered to be lawbreakers or dangers to to Israel, you know, there would be time, you know, for there to be beatings, and sometimes the beatings were the punishment itself, you know, the, the, the minus one uh, beatings. Uh, this place, right, this is where this, this was one of the places in Caiaphas' house that's been uncovered where this would take place. And what they would do is they put the strap around the man's arm, and they would lift his arms up, and they would use those holes there to kind of bind him up where he could stand up straight and sort of be lifted up on his toes. There are two uh, carved-out places in the, in the stone below where um, there would be the, the kind of the vinegar uh, mixture that would help assuage uh, the pain a little bit. But 
being Caiaphas's house and this being the place underneath the house where these kinds of things would take place, we're probably looking again at X marks the spot. You'll never know for sure, but this just it, everything just seems to fit that this is the place where Jesus began to be beaten and 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 to, and to be beaten very very severely. And uh, not, uh, here's uh, you know the place you can you can see one of those holes. This is right underneath that beam. This is one of the holes carved out where you know the the, the vinegar solution would have been put to uh, you know during during those uh those beatings and and uh you know would try to, to 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 be a place of healing there would probably be some olive oil there as well you go down another um you know just another distance down not not very far at all it's, it's hard to know how far you're going down you come to this hole that is cut into the rock and this was where the prisoners would be lowered down into a, uh, a dungeon area here's you can kind of see get a better picture of what that hole looks like but they would be dropped down into this dungeon area and this area right here is probably where jesus spent the last night of his life uh, absolutely pitch black can't see your hand in front of your face kind of darkness and as you know there you know there was a series of of striking and 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 beating and hitting and these kinds of things and at some point they're having to get rid of Jesus for a moment so that they can confer and they would have lowered him down and would have dropped him into this place right here where he would be bleeding and in complete darkness and and probably you know thirst beyond our imagination and suffering and in pain and these kinds of things and um this this particular place, Caiaphas's house, is 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 associated with Psalm eighty eight. And uh, in closing, I just want to read Psalm eighty eight, with a with a comment or two. The Psalm eighty eight says now in the context of what's happened. O Lord, the God who saves me day and night, I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength. I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you do you show your wonders to the dead? Do, you, do those who are a dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Are your righteous deeds in the place of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. 
Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. And the psalm ends, the darkness is my closest friend. Uh, that psalm is, is associated with you know, Jesus' sufferings and in the context of some of the things that we, we've looked at, it kind of gives us sort of an emotional connection to what it is that Jesus went through in order for our sins to be forgiven. That it wasn't just die and it's done, but there was a series of suffering, an intense suffering. And it was at the hands of his own people. It was at the hands of his closest compadres as, you know, in your deepest moment, I mean, the betrayal of your closest your friends, your deepest friends, your most profound friends, for them to say that I don't know you and to take an oath that they never know you, that they're not your disciples, that's just one of the forms, the emotional forms of suffering. But there's the physical as well. There's, there's the continuation of the emotional suffering is not only is it so unjust and he's innocent and he is the savior of the world and he is the most sensitive man who ever lived and because he is the most sensitive man the more it hurt for all of these things to happen to him and then plunged into the darkness of that place where there's no way out there's no way out unless they come to get you and in that darkness and in that moment I can't help but think that he's crying out the words of Psalm 88. Is the darkness going to be my only friend? When, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, there, there's, there's, always, there's, there's always a gratitude, and rightfully so. I, we would be abnormal and, and, and diseased in our mind if there was not this overflowing gratitude out of our hearts for the fact that something has been done for us that we can never do for ourselves, and that is to pay a price in order for our sins to be paid in full, the debt, the debt of our sins to be paid in full, that we find ourselves coming into the presence of God. But I can't help but think that when we really understand fully what it took for us to become saved, that there can't be with that gratitude a little commingling of the horror of it all that he went through because of love. And again, you've heard me say this on, on many occasions that, you know, it's not, it, it's not nails that keep Jesus on the cross. It's, it's, it's not nails that, that kept him on that cross or the Roman soldiers who were surrounding it, 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 none of that kept him on the cross. It was love. As we saw last week, you know, Jesus is in, um, in, in extreme anxiety that his sweat produced by that anxiety is now being mingled with blood. And he is feeling the full force of our sin that he is going to bear. He is looking into the abyss and seeing what is in store for him, but it is because of love and a dedication to do God's will that he stays the course. And that when we find ourselves in this tremendous moment of gratitude as we eat that piece of bread that represents his body given, and that little taste of grape juice that reminds us that there was blood that was shed for us, that I think appropriately alongside 
of that gratitude and that thankfulness and that relief and that, that love. The impact of His love coming into us creates a love for Him that there is also a tremendous respect and appreciation that He didn't just die, but He suffered for us in order for us to have that hope that I talked about this morning when it comes to death and the ultimate breakdown that we face in this life. We'll offer an invitation right now. We're going to sing a song, and we're going to have a couple of our shepherds down here at the front. If there is anyone here tonight that we can minister to through prayer or someone who is warning after understanding what it is that Jesus has done for for people like us and having come to a full understanding what it means to be a, a people like us, and you'd like to make that all straight with God tonight by confessing sin and confessing His Lordship and having sins washed away through baptism, that opportunity is going to be afforded to you tonight. Come down to the front and talk to the shepherds. We'll make it happen as we stand and praise God together. I am thine, Lord.